Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. And uh, th- those guys make it mo- so difficult. They, they make it so difficult for, uh, for us folks. But anyway, we're, we're happy that you're here and we want to just get into the word of the Lord and let God's word speak to our heart here today. And um, I want to say this morning, we're obviously we're not able to use our multimedia, and uh, so we're kind of going a little bit old school. So I hope you have your Bible with you. You should do that anyway. And uh, our, our screens are more or less for people that don't own a Bible or our guests. And so you should always have a Bible with you and a pen and a pencil and bring a Bible to church you don't mind writing in. And uh, because the Lord may inspire you to make a note or... Uh, to do something there. So for the month of August, we're going to be talking about the importance of work, W-O-R-K. Amen, the importance of work. And more specifically, we're going to be centering on that whatever we do, that we should do it as unto the Lord. And, and, And we should be able to leave a sure mark of ourselves and, and something that we would not be ashamed uh, to ever have to go back and revisit. I remember um, years ago, I was just a, a very, very young uh, man, just a, maybe just in my early teens, hearing a preacher talking about a man uh, that had spent his life as a superintendent on a job for a construction company that built houses. And um, the man that he worked for was a very hard taskmaster, uh, did not ever hand out a lot of accolades and and um, and he felt like that he kind of worked for nothing and was unappreciated in what he did and uh, he was uh, going to retire and he was going to build one last home and so uh, he didn't really want to do that but his his boss being a, sort of a heavy-handed by nature just coerced him into building this one last home and so as he began to build that home, he began to think about all the years of labor and, and toil and how he had given his best. And in return, he felt like that he had not ever received the, uh, the things that were due him. And so he just thought, you know, it doesn't matter. And so for the first time in his career, he started cutting corners and, and it, it just didn't matter. He, he lost the, the love of what he was doing and, and uh, he just haphazardly built the house. And uh, when he finished the house, as a token of appreciation for all of his years of service, the man he worked for handed him the keys to that house. And he realized that the last house he built was the worst house that he built, not realizing that what he was doing was building a home for his family and future. And so, um, you know, there, there's, a, there's a real underlying principle there that whatever we should do, we shouldn't do it as though selfishly we're going to get the keys to that but we should do it as though we were doing this for the lord 
And so everything that we do in the house of God, certainly, and everything we do for the kingdom of God, it ought to be our very best. We shouldn't bring God what's left. Amen. Church, it is our, our church, even the house of God, literally should be a, it ought to be as beautiful as, as we can afford to do. It ought to be as not, not to showboat to the community, but it's as unto the Lord. And when we come into the house of God, you know, the Lord called the men three times a year to come and offer a sacrifice. And he said, bring something with you and you, you, you need to bring your best with you because you don't want to show up looking like I haven't been a good God to you. Amen. And so we need to understand the, the value of that. And so uh, we need to do whatever it is unto the Lord. So whatever your vocation is, we need to do it as unto the Lord. And uh, we're going to kind of drill down on that a little bit today. But this month, for the month of August, we're going to be talking about four different topics. Today, I'm going to talk about the dignity of work. Next week, Brother Rayleigh is going to be talking about being gifted for a purpose the following week, Sister Amanda Gibson is going to be talking about uh, when a gift becomes a curse, and uh, and then wrapping up our week, uh, wrapping up our month. I'm sorry, Brother Wayne Williams will be teaching on resting for a purpose, and uh, we chose him because we felt like that he could probably teach us about rest, and uh, <laughs> he just happened to be in my line of sight, so I, <laughs> I thought I would just shoot at him. The book of Colossians chapter three and verse 23, the Bible says, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. And you know, if, if, uh, if you happen to be working for a company or for a boss or supervisor of some sort that doesn't really have an appreciation for what you offer, it's very easy to get indifferent and uh, very easy to kind of to get bitter about those things and just kind of give less than what we should be given. And so we need to go to work understanding that I'm not doing this for such and such company or so and so incorporated, but I am doing this unto the Lord, unto the Lord. And so if you're painting a wall, don't let it be filled with voids and drips and runs. You wouldn't want that in your house. I hope you wouldn't want that in your house. <laughs> we need to do that as unto the Lord, as unto the Lord. Amen. So we should do everything in that, in that regard. So this morning for, I don't know, maybe the next three or four hours or so, I want to talk to you about Noah. It won't be that long. It'll just seem like that to some. But uh, uh, Noah, is a name, I'm t Noah is a name that is familiar to many, many people. And so when the Lord told Noah to build an ark, we read about this in the Bible and, and um, in, in most, most of the time in scripture, the measurements that are given to us don't really resonate with us because, uh, you know, especially like the ark is given to us and so many cubits long, so many cubits high, so many cubits wide and oh, we can read right across that and uh, not really think a whole lot about that. But, the, but when he gave Noah the dimensions, we have to understand that he was speaking Noah's language. And so Noah understood completely whether we grasp the magnitude of uh, the massive side of the ark or not, Noah certainly did. So when the Lord said cubits, if it had been you and I, we would have heard him say, I want you to build it 450 feet long. I want you to build it 75 feet wide. And I want you to build it 45 feet high. And so anyone that has the ability to comprehend 
very much at all about measurement or dimensions. We understand that that 450 feet long would be over four and a half times the length of this building. It would be almost twice as wide as the building that we're standing in and would certainly be uh, four and a half times the height of the building that we are sitting in today. So this was not a small undertaking. Noah had to realize at this moment in time that he was had been given an assignment that would take decades. This is not something you're gonna run out and do in the afternoon. We're not gonna finish this in a month. This is not gonna be finished in a year or in five years. In addition to um, Noah having to explain to those that were no doubt looking on and wondering what was going on, he was also given the responsibility to warn people that God was going to, to destroy the entire earth with a flood. Now, I, I don't think any of us have to dream very far to understand that the atmosphere had to be filled with questions. People asking themselves, people asking Noah, there had to be a lot of, uh, there had to be a lot of cynicism in that, in that particular time. But despite all of the criticism, Noah was able to keep himself and he was able to keep his sons engaged in the project at hand. So irrespective of the magnitude of the job or irrespective of all the cynicism or the criticism that, and I'm gonna tell you something. If you're doing anything for the Lord, you, had buckle, you need to buckle yourself in for cynicism and criticism. And sometimes you're gonna be surprised where it comes from, amen. But, but nevertheless, uh, I wanna make sure that I'm not one of them, amen. I don't wanna be a cynic, I don't wanna be a critic. Uh, it, it's, it's amazing, uh, it's amazing you can sit in the seat over here and ride in a car for years and years and years and then just slide a few feet over <laughs> And, and, and the dynamics of all of that changes when you're in the driver's seat. If I could just, if I could just use this as an example, for many years now, um, I have, in, a, in the most literal sense, sat beside Brother James Varnum, our um, district secretary, and uh, he takes the minutes of all of our meetings and things of that nature. And so at times when he would have to leave the room and fill in, he would just slide his computer over to me and I would fill in that spot. Well, a couple of years ago, uh, I was, uh, I'm very humbled by this, but I was appointed to, to take on that responsibility because his responsibilities had grown. And so I, I, I've teased him often. I said, you know, I had no idea. I sat right here beside you for years. I watched you typing. I interrupted you a whole lot. <laughs> Anytime something crossed my mind, I just wanted to share it with you. I didn't dawn on me that you're over there I didn't understand, and so I just found myself apologizing and apologizing and, and hoping that he would take the hint and not do that to me. <laughs> and my point in all of that is, is, is I was sitting right there. And so until you have been sitting right there, it's very easy to sit over here and be critical and cynical, and it's very easy to sit over here and do those things, but it's a whole cat of a different color whenever you are sitting in the driver's seat and uh, let, let me move on. But it, it, um, God had given Noah the responsibility. I am sure that was enough to give birth to a lot of questions. What in the world are you doing? You've lost your mind. He's talking about a flood. People had never known of anything. We can kind of comprehend that today because even portions of our, 
our country right now are flooding. And so if you are keeping up with the news, we can, we can relate to those sort of things. Tsunamis of, of recent years that have just decimated uh, miles, hundreds and hundreds of miles of, uh, and cities and, and put tens of thousands of people homeless just in a moment of time. We can somewhat comprehend that but the people that Noah was talking to had no way to comprehend what he's saying. And so it was, it was a seedbed for those things. But Noah was able to stay focused and to do a work that God had called him to do. And God had given him a warning. He had given him a work to do. And God had given him a promise of the reward. And so that was enough. Those things were enough to keep him focused. That seemed to be enough at least. I think there had to be something in his heart. I think he heard this with more than his ear. Does that make sense? I think something resonated in his heart when the Lord spoke to him because the scripture says that Noah built the ark to the saving of his house. And so I think that he did more than just hear instructions with his ear but something in his heart said, I've got to save my house. So while others scoffed, Noah worked diligently and he taught his sons to do the same. But in truth, work in and of itself was not new to mankind and it certainly wasn't new to God. God worked in creation and when you find the Lord, you find him working. He laid the foundations of the world he stretched the heavens, he molded the hills, he put the stars in their place. And so we find God over and over in scripture working. Next, he planted the garden for Adam and Eve to live in. And so throughout the Bible, God is referred to as a builder. He is referred to as a potter, which would be a creator. He is referred to as a husbandman. He is referred to as a shepherd. And, uh, and, and then in the New Testament, when the Lord came to earth, when God came to earth in the flesh of Jesus Christ, a babe born in a manger, he was born in, in the home of a carpenter and he himself became a carpenter. And so everywhere you find the Lord, he is not in some penthouse with, with a penthouse view, just kind of sitting back and uh, pointing and, and directing others, but he is engaging himself in work. Genesis 1 and 26 says that God made us with his own hands in his image. Amen. And so if, if, if God has been at work since the beginning of creation, that it, it should be no surprise at all to us that he intends and he expects for you and I to work as well. The word work is found uh, some 720 times in the, New King, in the New King James Version of the Bible. Many times the Bible speaks about God working with us. What an incredible word picture that is. God working with us. The creator of the universe stepping alongside us, helping us in whatever job that we have undertaken for him. I've felt the, I have felt the help of the Lord beside me. Amen. I needed God's hand to come and stand with me and guide me. Clearly, God places value and dignity on work. You know, um, when we think about Adam and Eve prior to the fall, if we're not careful, we can, uh, we can sort of view them in, in this paradise simply 
wandering through the Garden of Eden, just relaxing every day, just rejoicing and, and, and enjoying the day with real no set agenda, just nothing to do but just get up and live. Uh, as Brother McElhaney used to uh, say all the time, he said, I hope you're fair and sumptuously every day. And we can, we can uh, kind of picture Adam and Eve and that faring sumptuously every day. Amen. They ha- they, you know, many times we think about that. Uh, then they sinned, we kind of think in our mind, and now all of a sudden work comes onto the scene. And now by the sweat of our brow have we got to make a living. And as a result of that kind of thinking, we blame Adam and Eve for the fact that we have to get up and go to work today. Boy, it got, got very quiet there, didn't it? But the reality of all of this is, is that before the fall and before the curse, work was very much a part of Adam's life. Genesis 2 and 15, the Bible says, and the Lord took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And so work was a part of Adam's life before the fall Amen. Now, to be sure, man's work changed and it certainly got more difficult after the fall, but that doesn't mean that they didn't do anything before this because work has always been a part of the plan of God. God never intended uh, for man to be lazy or to be inactive. Amen. That was never the design of God for us to just kind of just sit around and be fat and sassy. Amen. God has always intended for man to work. And so when we think about the ark, Uh, and the responsibility that was given to Noah to build the ark, it may look like a curse. (laughs) You want me to do what? You want me to do what? And, 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 And tell me those dimensions again. And have you seen my woodshed? Have you seen the tools that I have? I mean, I mean, this all just seems so far out of balance and so far out of kilter, and it very well could look like a curse But it was really a blessing. It really was a blessing. God blessed Noah with a very meaningful job. In in Genesis 6 and 11, the Bible says, the earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence and God looked upon the earth and behold, it was corrupt and all for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And so when, when the world gets worse, it's time to work not just physically, but also spiritually. The worse things get, it's time that we stand, get our feet under us. I mean, you see the world that we live in today sadly places very little value or certainly very little dignity on work. As a matter of fact, many people look for reasons not to work. And we live in in North America, we live in a society that that kind of uh, feeds that monster. Absolutely. And uh, work is seen, looked at by many people as a necessary evil. And uh, we kind of look at our job as a drudgery that it just pays the bills. It just puts food on the table. Amen. But God said we need to work whatever it is that he's called us to do. We need to do it heartily as unto the Lord. And so when you think about the lack of pride that, that is taken in the jobs that people do today, it's very sad. Now, I'm, I'm speaking, I'm painting with a pretty broad brush. I understand that today. I'm not trying to throw everybody into one melting pot, but I think it's pretty easy sometimes to understand that, that some people don't have a lot of pride 
in what they're doing or take a lot of pride in what they're doing. But there was a day, certainly a day, when every artisan took time with their craft. What they were doing was a piece of art to them and they were working very hard. And because of that, the quality of their, of their work, it stood the test of time because they were very conscientious in what, in what they were doing. A few months ago, my wife and I were uh, away for a few days vacation and, and uh, we were, uh, had tuned into a program on, on a home and gardens there and, and, uh, and there was a, a program we had never seen, maybe some of you are familiar with it, but it was where a man uh, would find old barns and he would tear down these barns piece by, or I should say, take down these barns piece by piece. And they would take the pieces of these barns in this particular case, and they, they tagged every little piece and they would load them on trailers and they hauled this particular barn hundreds and hundreds of miles away uh, and then rebuilt that and built around that and turned it into a multi-million dollar home. It was pretty fascinating. But as they began to deconstruct this barn, I was just taken by the precision that had gone into the construction. This is a barn in the state of Ohio out in the middle of a field. And, and the primary joints that were used in the building of this barn would have probably been, I called Brother Toby last night to get a little bit of this detail work to make sure I would get this right. I think what he referred to as a notched lap joint. Does that sound right? Notched. I need you guys. Yes, sir. Amen. That's right. <laughs> Me and Toby both need you right now. <laughs> and in the middle of these notched lap joints, there were holes drilled and they had cut in wood, wooden pegs. These were probably 10 by 10 and they had cut wood pegs and in the middle of that, it was fascinating. They drove all of these dowels out and took all of these things apart and they so carefully tagged everything with a, with a, a nail and a tag on it to make sure they could put the exact dowel back in the exact hole. It was, it was just phenomenal to see this. As a matter of fact, the homeowners, and I'm meandering here just a little bit, but I think you're enjoying it. <laughs> and uh, you're having a better time with this than you were going to work, so let's just stay here for a little while. <laughs> a man's got to know his audience. A man's <laughs> and uh, and the, the, the homeowners were so carried away with, a, with the care that he had taken to leave all of those tags on those places so that they could put all the numbers and line all this back up, that even in this multi-million dollar home, he, they wanted him to leave all of those tags. And there they are, you can just see those tags are just everywhere, but I, I could certainly understand that. It was, it was an, a very impressive thing, and it would, it would have been an impressive construction by today's standards with power tools. But when you think about that somebody took the time to notch all of this by hand with axes and saws and, and to drill these holes in whatever fashion and, to, and to, to cut these dowels. It was just fascinating to think about. But, and, and, and here's the bottom line. Somebody could have said, this is just a barn. 
I mean, we're going to have a few cows in here. We're going to have a little bit of hay in here. But somebody said, but we got to do this. It's going to have to stand the test of time. This barn was over 100 years old. Am I right? Over 100 years old. It had taken tremendous storms. No telling what kind of history this barn alone could write. Amen. And so here it is 100 years later. Not only is it still standing, but it was able to be, it took the, the pressure of being taken apart and reassembled again. I, I tell you that what we do, we need to do it as unto to the Lord because when people come along and there'll be a generation behind us, I hope the Lord comes tomorrow. But if the Lord doesn't come tomorrow, there's gonna be a generation that comes behind us. And when they take something away, if they have to remove a layer of something we set to build something else, I hope beneath that they don't find where we have made shortcuts and where we have cut the corner here or cut the corner there. I mean that physically, but I also mean that spiritually, that when they, when they start uncovering something and unveiling, they're gonna realize that, you know what? Somebody took this serious. Amen. They didn't think Wednesday night was just, if it works, it works. If it don't, it don't. They took this serious. They came. Did you like how I worked that right in there about the Wednesday night? Amen. They came and they laid something in the foundation that was there. It was there that stood the test of time. And so I say, Lord, let us do this, us unto the Lord. I don't wanna say, well, it's Sunday again. Here, we're gonna go to the house of Come on, children, we gotta get dressed. Are we going there again? Oh, yes, come on, we gotta, but we won't be there long and then we can do what we want to. No, we need to say, yes, sir, amen. It is time to go to the house of the Lord. I'm gonna date myself here just a little bit when I say this, but, but in our home back uh, as a young boy uh, on Sunday mornings, there was something called, um, I may need some of you to help me with the exact wording here, but the gospel jubilee, Heaven's Jubilee, or, or yeah, something like that was the, the Heaven's Jubilee or the Gospel Jubilee or something like that was a, a radio program. And uh, our own brother, Hal Kennedy, that pastored for many years in Titusville was a part of that. And so that radio program would come on and every Sunday morning, I can remember waking up to that Gospel Jubilee and there were those songs were playing. That was an, an indicator, the flag, amen. <laughs> the standard bearer of our home had got up that morning and and raised the flag and said, you know what? It's Sunday and it's time to go to the house of the Lord. I'm thankful for that today. Amen. If I thought he could hear me, I would stand at the foot of his grave and say, thank you, mom, and thank you, dad. Amen. Because you put something in, you did it as unto the Lord. I'm not going to try to find a back row, not talking to the back row crowd, but I'm not going to try to talk, find a back row and sit back and be disengaged, but I want to engage myself in what the spirit of the Lord is doing in this day, heartily, heartily as unto the Lord. My goodness, I'm gonna to have to hurry here today. I'm telling too many personal stories. Amen. But the Lord loved Noah. We're not sure what the catalyst for this was, but, but the Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. We're not exactly sure why, but the Lord loved Noah enough. I think he saw something in his heart. That's my feeling. Amen, but God loved Noah enough to warn him about the impending flood and the destruction of the world. God favored Noah enough to give him a job to do, not to just keep him busy, but a job that had meaning. Amen, in other words, I'm gonna call you to do something that's gonna be to the saving of your house. 
I wanna just talk to every daddy in this room today that God is calling us to build something to the saving of our house. Let me speak to every mother today and tell you that God is calling us to do something to the saving of our house. And so if you're teaching a Sunday school class or if you're vacuuming the carpet, we ought to do it heartily as unto the Lord. What are you doing? I'm saving my house. Hallelujah. What are you doing? I'm saving my house. I am putting a layer in this foundation. I'm laying something for a generation to come. They can build their lives on, praise God. Noah walked with God. And you know what? God is constantly active. He's always working. So when you work and when you walk with God, hear me, when you walk with God, don't be surprised when God gives you a job to do. And don't ever let any job be too small. My Lord, did Brother Campbell preach to us last weekend? Amen, we shouldn't be too proud to glean because you just keep on gleaning and before you know the cupboard is gonna be full and she gleaned her way all the way to the king's palace. Yes, she did. Amen, Noah had a physical job to do. Amen, an overwhelming task. It was an overwhelming task for so few men uh, to be able to accomplish. The ark was built somewhere between Noah's 500th year and his 600th year. His 500th birthday, his 600th birthday. Now, how much of that 100-year period is, is kind of just given to, uh, to guess here? But uh, we're not certainly no way, I guess, to prove the Bible is a little silent here on this. Uh, we know that God did give 120 years for, for man to repent and for a space of time for man to repent and for the ark to be built. But it was certainly a project that took many, many decades. And so let's don't get caught up in numbers. Let's just understand that it took decades. But in addition to building the ark, a physical job, Noah was also given a spiritual job. Amen. And the Bible said in 2 Peter 2 and 5 that the spiritual God was to preach righteousness. And so by the very actions of building the ark, Noah showed his faith in God. And so when a project of this magnitude is going on, you know there had to be a lot of talk. Noah could have thought, you know, uh, all these people are watching me, all these people are talking about me, so my actions should probably be enough to declare my love for God. But Noah, the Bible says, preached righteousness unto them. So he didn't just swing a hammer but he knew, he didn't just handle a maul or an ax, he knew how to declare the word of the Lord. He warned them that the ark, this is gonna be your only way out. This is it, this, if you're not on this, you're not going to be saved. It could seem to some that Noah was a, a more successful ark builder than he was a preacher. After all, the boat that he built saved all of the animals and preserved their seed but there were only eight human beings and that was just Noah's family. So the question posed then, was Noah a failure as a preacher? I say he was not a failure. And the reason I say he was not is because God is not counting heads. God is watching the obedience of the man he spoke to. And the man he spoke to decades before worked diligently on the project that God had assigned to him and God told him what to do and then it's gonna be up to mankind. 
It's gonna be up to mankind. You know, man is the only thing that is created that God gave a will. And, and we can't forget that when we're praying for people. We want their lives to be different. We want their lives to be changed and we're gonna continue to be a light and an example, but, but you can't get caught up and forget that everybody has their own will and they have to make up their own mind. Everything else that God created, everything else that God created responded to this magnetic pull that God put in the atmosphere. My Lord, I've thought about this so many times. Brother Rayleigh, I've thought about, you know, trying to imagine in my own limited way of, of what, what happened, uh, the intuition, the instinct that animals still have today. You know, there are many re- records through time, uh, not only in America, but around the world where animals can sense when a flood is coming. And uh, there have been times where animals would normally come to a river and uh, that would be their time to water and they would not show up and they did not show up and sure enough, a flash flood came through and somehow God just has a way of dealing with that nature. And so, my goodness, I don't know what happened, but it happened all across the earth. Amen, it happened in, in, the, in the heart and the mind of those animals, amen, to move. It was time to do something, amen. I, I, I think about that and I think about how that, that everything walked on that ark by God moving upon its nature, but man. But man. It had to be out of the ordinary for a lion and a lamb and for an elephant and a giraffe. But they responded to something they had never felt until that day. They responded. You see, the work that God gives us to do, whatever that work may be, it's really a gift and we should not ever see it as a curse. Lamech, Noah's father, thought perhaps that Noah would reverse the curse. And I think in a way that, that he was right. In, in Genesis 5 and 28 and 29, it, it, we are introduced to Lamech and, uh, and then it talks about he begat a son called his name Noah. And this is what his father said. Noah's father said, said this same, talking about Noah, shall comfort us concerning our work and the, and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. And so it was, it was like a word of prophecy that went out and uh, this prophecy came to pass. It, it all seems to be well and fine. You know, we think about this, we're in Genesis, that's where our mind is, but how does this apply to us today? Where, where does this fit in to the 21st century? I believe that through our work, we show faith. Amen, by our work, we show faith. Amen, the Bible says in Hebrews 11, without faith it's impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world. By his actions, he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness, which is by faith. Amen, Noah moved with fear. He built an ark, and in the doing of that, he saved his family. Amen, it's as if he said, I believe you, God. I believe you, God, and I am going to do this to the saving of my own house. I was thinking a moment ago as we were, <coughs> as we were praying for our, 
our teachers, and, and uh, I, I believe that, that we are also praying for our students as well. And I just began to pray a moment ago in our pre-service prayer. I just began to pray. I said, Lord, I'm, I'm gonna ask you to just touch the heart of our young people and, and let, let the life they're living before their teacher, let their life, let their life be a, a light to them and help them to see that a young person, a young man, a young lady can separate themselves from the fads and the fashions and the trends and the foolishness of this world and they can keep themselves pure and they can keep themselves holy and they can keep themselves moral. That's not too big a prayer, is it? Amen, I know the teacher is the leader and the teacher is the influencer, amen, but I believe that our students can be in that classroom and while they don't have the authority to to speak all together, amen. They do have the authority not to hide the light that God has placed in their heart. Amen, the Lord, the, Noah said, I believe you, God, and I'm just gonna do what you call me to do. And I believe God can do that for our students. Amen, he and his family would have died with the rest of the world, but he allowed his faith to be set in motion because faith puts us to work. Amen, if, if, if we don't believe something, we're not gonna act on it, that's for sure. But if God calls us to a certain thing, whatever that may be, if that's a ministry or if it's a career, we're gonna have to have faith that God is able to make us effective in that career and that have faith that God's gonna be able to work through us in that regard, amen? But in addition to that, all of that faith, we're gonna have to put some legs to that and we're gonna have to avail ourselves to whatever it is we feel like God is leading us to do. If you feel uh, the call to do something, you're gonna have to take preliminary steps. If you feel called to be an attorney, you're gonna have to take some preliminary steps. You're gonna have to study law. If you feel called to be in the, in the medical field, you're gonna have to take some preliminary steps. You're gonna have to be trained and learn about those things. If you feel called to do something for the Lord, you're gonna have to connect yourself to someone that can help you get your hands on the plow. Amen, to learn how. We have to avail ourselves. We can't just sit back and wish things into existence <laughs> I wish my grass would cut itself but every day it rains I realize I'm wishing in vain it grows and grows and grows and grows I can't wish it away amen I, 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 and, I, and, and I got to do more than feel like doing it I got to do more than I got to do more than think about it but you got to go you got to go buy a mower you got to buy gas you gotta buy blades. You gotta buy something to sharpen the blades. You're gonna have to do something in order to put yourself, no one finds themselves where they are. The old adage, if you see a turtle on a fence post, know this, he didn't get there by himself. And so we're all turtles on fence posts and we're wherever we are today, we didn't get here by ourselves. Amen, so when God speaks a word of direction in our lives, we need to respond with faith and with willingness to act. I'm not saying that we should do that without mentorship or that we should not do that without having a voice of somebody to help lead us and direct us in that regard. Amen. God has given all of us unique spiritual and physical giftings. Amen. And then here's what God, he, I mean this, don't, I don't mean this disrespectful, but I'm telling you, God is so cool. Because God gives all of us unique giftings and abilities and talents and then he places us in a church. Amen. Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 4 
He likens the church to a building that is fitly framed. He likens the church to a body that is fitly joined together. In order for the building to be strong and the body to be effective, then every part has to work in its proper capacity. The eye can't smell anything. The nose can't see anything. The ears can't go anywhere. Amen. They, they are all dependent upon someone else, something else. And so each of us need to allow God's spirit and we need to allow God's word and we need to allow God's leadership to guide us into that proper place of work and ministry. And so when we discover where we fit and when we discover what our giftings are, then we're going to put those gifts to work. Amen. And they work for us both physically and they work for us spiritually. Amen. That's why how we've always tried to operate as a church. Amen. Is to, is to lean on people. I have leaned on people according to their giftings. We have people here that understand sound. They understand music. Right. And so if a microphone goes out, I'm not going to go talk to Everett about that. Now, he's a great man. And there's an outside chance he'd have an opinion about it. But how accurate would that be? You all right? Okay. <laughs> You got a little quiet on me. I just didn't know. <laughs> There's no sense in talking to him about something that's beyond his calling or his gifting. Amen. And so we want to find those gifts because God has placed us here for a reason. Amen. And so we need to know the work that we do for God and for others. We need to know that that matters. To know that what you're doing is making a difference. And all of us feel like from time to time what we're doing doesn't matter. I want to say that again. Everybody feels like whatever you're doing doesn't matter. <laughs> you heard about the man that woke up one morning, a young man woke up one morning and said to his mom, he said, I'm not going to church today. She said, you've got to go. He said, I'm not going today. I don't feel like going. Nobody there loves me and appreciates me. And she said, you, have, you are going to church today. He said, give me two reasons why I should go to church today. She said, well, number one, going to church is the right thing to do. And number two, you're the pastor. So, <laughs> so everybody feels like what you're doing is to no avail at some point or another, and you just want to. <laughs> that was me and my wife two weeks ago. No, no, no it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Don't post that. That's not true. So here, here, here we are. And I'm closing with this. When the rain ceased and the ark came to a rest and Noah sent out the dove, the raven and the dove, um, when Noah had a sign, in other words, that it was safe, he stepped out onto dry land for the first time in a long time. And for the first time in a long time, he filled his lungs with fresh air as that ark rested itself on, on that mountain. 
And from here, from the vantage point of not only being on top of a mountain, but also 45 feet or 40 feet or so into the air. Noah sees a whole new world that is stretched out before him, a clean slate. Some of you here are old enough to remember the Etch-A-Sketch. It was as if God had just <laughs> shaken the world and just handed it back to him and said, okay, Noah, it's a clean slate. Some of you are old in this house. That's all I got to say. <laughs> That's all I got to say about that. It was cleansed. It was a world that was filled with infinite possibilities. But before Noah did anything, he built an altar. And he took some of those clean animals that were on that ark and he offered those animals for a sacrifice unto the Lord. And when Noah did that, suddenly the clouds parted, the sun shined, and from horizon to horizon appeared an arched band of brilliant color, purple, blue, green, yellow, orange. God now is going to explain himself as they stand, and for the very first time, they're seeing this radiant bow of color in the clouds. What does this mean? And God said, this is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a token of a covenant between me and the earth. This, this is not just about Noah, Miss Noah. This is not about just this little family. But God said, Noah, because of you, I am making a covenant with the earth. My Lord. I'd like to just pause about 45 minutes and let us just... Meditate on that. We think, what are we doing? What good are we doing? And God said, I'll tell you what good you're doing, Noah. Amen. I'm going to bless perpetually the earth. I'm making a covenant with the earth. With the earth. Amen. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And I know you know this, but I just hope I can underline it one more time. That if this afternoon you walk out and you see just the hint of that bow in the cloud, you remember this has more to do than with just God and Noah. But this is my God keeping his covenant with the earth. My, my, my. Whew. Noah's gone. Noah's gone. Noah's gone and Noah's been gone. There's not anybody in the lineage, so to speak, of Noah that could file a grievance against God because the cloud or because the earth was flooded again. But God said, Noah, long after you're gone, my covenant's not with you. My covenant is with the earth. 
And so I'm going to tell you today, we ask ourselves, what good am I doing? Can I tell you, you're doing more than driving nails. You're doing more than just typing a report. You're doing more than just designing this or designing that. You're doing more, do it as unto the Lord. Do it heartily as unto the Lord. Amen. I hope tomorrow that when we walk in our respective places of business, that our employers think they got a brand new employee. They think they got a brand new someone that showed up on the job because I'm not doing this for a paycheck on Friday. I'm not doing this for a week's vacation or two weeks vacation. I'm not doing this because of my paid holidays. I'm not doing this for my health insurance. I'm here today because I come to work for Jesus. I come to do it as unto the Lord and I'm gonna give it my all. I'm gonna give it my best. Praise God. Let's stand across this house. Can we do it? Let's clap our hands. Can we do it? Amen. Can you lift your voice? And will you lift your voice unto the Lord? Shout unto the Lord with a voice of triumph. I love you, Jesus. And I magnify your holy and your righteous name. Praise your name. Praise your name. Praise your name. Praise your name. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386 935 2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.